Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself, richardellistalks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is New Leaf. We have a phrase, at least in the English language, that goes back to the 1500s about turning over a new leaf. So obviously turning over a new leaf, if you don't know this, has nothing to do with leaves. It means to alter your behavior, usually in a positive way, to start fresh, to change course, to change track, turn over a new leaf. The leaf in this phrase, as is one dictionary says, in this phrase does not refer to the leaf on a tree, but rather the pages in a book. In the 16th century, the pages of a book were referred to as leaves. The allusion to turning over to a blank page and starting over has been used since the 1500s. Even though it is not always meant change for the better, it has always meant that you're starting over. When you turn to a new clean page, you are leaving the past behind and you're starting over. So if you are trying to turn over a new leaf somewhere, part of that process involves acknowledging that the previous pages didn't work out so well. And so if you are gonna turn that page, if you are gonna turn a new leaf, then you might be looking at a blank page and then you gotta fill that out and you gotta decide, okay, who am I gonna be and what am I gonna do? So let me read you a few scriptures, Isaiah 55, turn to that if you would, and verse seven. I'm amazed at how many people go, oh, I don't read the Old Testament, it's the Old Testament. I recommend reading the whole Bible because there's some powerful stuff in here. And this is one of these very simple verses that's Old and New Testament. Isaiah 55, seven says this, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So what most Christians don't have much interest in being, if they're genuine in their faith, is a hypocrite. So if you struggle with hypocrisy, the reason you probably struggle with hypocrisy, like me, is that I claim to love Jesus, I claim to wanna trust him and follow him, but if you followed me around for a period of time, you'd say, wait a minute, what was that choice? What was that thought? What did you say there? How does that fit in with your claims? And we'll get to this verse in a little bit. You say, well, but even if you screw up, you can confess that sin. Just said it here. He'll abundantly pardon, forsake his way. Forsaking something means you leave it behind. So if you get to the point where you forsake it and you move forward, you literally turn that page and you're going a new direction, it can get intense. Now here's where the devil beats our brains in. He says, well, if you're such hot, you know, whatever, and you love God so much, what's this? And so we get discouraged and we say, well, that's right, he's right, he's accusing me and this is what I've done. Instead of going back to God and saying, look, I screwed up again, I'm back. That gets old, right? That gets really old. And you think, well, if I'm sick of me being this way, God must be sick of me being this way too. 
But you know what I don't find in the scriptures? Any verses about stopping to confess your sins. Anything about going back to him like, oh, that's it. Even in regard to forgiving one another, it's 70 times seven. I mean, it's some ridiculous number. I mean, obviously that number is 490, but it's just some absurd number. And if you actually run the traps on that, let's say your husband and wife and your husband does something and he comes to you and says, I'm sorry, one. He does it again, I'm sorry, two. Run that 490 times and see how sick of that you get. You say, I'm not forgiving him anymore. He's not changing. I would encourage you with this. If someone is bothering to apologize, there is a possibility they're on the way to possible change. It's when they stop apologizing that you got a problem. If you stop being sorry, if you stop going to God, hopefully the loop that you get caught in, you say, okay, Lord, here we go. New year, new chain, everything's different. I'm gonna be a different person. And you take off and then bam, you land on your face. I've kind of been running this phrase in my head recently. You've got to fight forward. And the way to fight forward is to fight back. You can't just lay down and go, oh, they got me again. There's nothing I can do. We sing a song just did about how great God is. My dad used to sing a song, how great thou art. We sang a piece of that. If you really believe that, and you believe that as a Christian, God himself lives in your body, what's bigger than him? You know, the devil is one demon. And he comes into your life and you go, oh, well, I, you know, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't make you do anything. You picked. He offered you up something that he thought you might take the bait, but he can't make you do anything. We choose sin. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and let's start in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Now look where he is. He's in the temple teaching. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And I highlight this for a reason. He's teaching in the temple. And in those days, and this is not too different today, used to live in not too far from this convention center, a few blocks from here, rough, rough neighborhood. And one night we came home and there was a car parked in in front of our driveway and there was a prostitute on top of a man in the driver's seat. And I put my bright lights on her and called the police. And she never missed a beat. Looked at me, never stopped anything. And the police said, did you see any sexual body parts? And I said, no. They said, there's nothing we can do. So I pulled in the driveway, closed the gate, and thought, well, there you have it. So he said, well, why do you tell that story? This woman, to bring her to Jesus, had to be caught in the act doing some guy. And so if they're trying to set Jesus up, they just pick some woman who they know is an adulteress, follow her around, and make sure they're watching. So who screwed up here? They're watching, and they catch her in the act. They bring this woman caught in the adultery, and when they set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. This is not hearsay. We saw now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? The law says, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I mean, we'll find out one day 
what did he write in the ground? So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, okay, he's finally got an answer to their question. All right, let's do this. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Let's do it. Let's stone her. You start. You got no sin, let's stone her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. So the oldest scribe, Pharisee, seniority, pecking order, when they start dropping, I'm not sinless, I'm not sinless, then they're all gone. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? So these people had the right under the Mosaic law to condemn her. And so his question to her is important. Has no one condemned you? In other words, you have not been sentenced to any fate, even the fate of stoning. No one condemned you. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So what was he proposing? This is your past. You got caught. The facts are here in the very act. The people that could accuse you under that law have not condemned you. Neither have I. Turn the page. Go sin no more. But then some cynic will say, yeah, but how do we know she wasn't screwing around again? You know, you got to stop assuming that other people are going to do what you do. What if their plan is not to do that anymore? Because Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Part of the reason we don't make change is we don't believe we're in a position to deserve that change. That we've screwed up so bad, we've gone so far, there's no way to get back. But Jesus, God in the flesh, literally says, I don't condemn you either. You're good to go. You don't have to do that anymore. It's an amazing thing to experience forgiveness. Acts chapter 3. Man, it's just intense what's in this book. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Don't complicate scripture, by the way. It's not complicated. Verse 19 starts with a word, repent. The word repent simply means to change your mind. That's all it is. Change your mind. People say, no, it means, you know, to do a 180, and too many people end up doing a 360, and that's the problem. To repent means to change your mind. I have said that this is right and what God says is wrong. I'm going to say what God says is right and what I've been saying differently is wrong. I changed my mind. I've been saying I could save myself. I repent. I can't save myself. I got to rely on Jesus. That's changing your mind. I've said that drugs, sex, alcohol, whatever your way of life is, I've said that that is all I've got and that's who I am. And that's what I'm going to do. But I've changed my mind. I repent. And that's not who I am. And that's not how I'm going to live. Repent, therefore, and be converted. You're changed. That your sins may be blotted out, gone, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before. If you've ever had a mom and you're out mowing grass or something, and it's hot, and back in the days of those push mowers, that weren't pulling themselves. You're hot and you're sweaty. You can taste the grass because it's in your mouth. And all of a sudden, mom comes out with a tray in a glass with ice of cold, cold, cold lemonade. And she hands you that and you drink that. You know what that's called? Refreshing. 
So Jesus says, look, here's my deal. You repent, be converted, and what's going to happen? Your sins are going to be wiped out, blotted out, and then times of refreshing are going to come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. Give him a shot. Give him a shot to show up. Try it his way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And I know some of you know these verses by heart. That's good for you. Some people have never heard these in their lives. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what does it mean to be a new creation? Adam was a creation of God, literally dirt formed into the shape of a man, life breathed into him, and boom, you got Adam, takes a piece of Adam, a rib, and makes Eve, creates these two people, creates one from the dirt, one from man, and so you have these human beings, be fruitful and multiply, and here we are. In the same way, God takes you in your physical body, this created human flesh and blood, and he says, okay, yeah, that's you, but now I'm gonna turn you into a new creation, There's going to be you, but there's going to be a new you. And the word here for create is out of nowhere. So he creates something brand new. If you are a Christian, you are a new creation. Stop living like just the old person. That's not all you got. Unless that's what you believe, that's all you got. I can't change. There's no hope for me. And I'm kind of to the point now where there are people who don't want to change But I believe there are some people who do want to change, but the enemy has beat them down so long and so hard, and the people around them have condemned them. Religious people, in some cases, have condemned them and said, you're going to hell, you're worthless. You know, if there's no hope for me, then screw it. I'm going to do what I want to do. I got no hope. And then somebody comes along, in Jesus' case, with some authority, and there's no one to condemn you, and even he doesn't condemn you. Now what are you going to do? If he says, go and sin no more, you have an option then to go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. New leaf. You said, but I'm going to be tempted. Terrence, come here just a minute. So Terrence is a big dude. Terrence stands here. Let's say we're driving down the road together in the car. And I start going, I'm not touching you. 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 Now that's not even working right now. Why? He's not reacting to anything I'm doing. Why do we do that to kids as kids? Right, so react. I'm not touching, yeah, he bit my finger. All right, so you're free to go. So the devil comes along and he goes, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. And you say, yeah, you're exactly right. You're not touching me ever again. Instead of stop, stop, like he has some control over you. Stop giving the enemy power that he does not have. All he can do is bait you into something and then you decide. You're drawn away, the scripture says, of your own lust and enticed. He just dangled something that's been working for your whole life. So you know it's coming. If you've sat with me in the conference room at the office, every once in a while I'll say to somebody, if someone walked in here with a hundred pound bag of cocaine, pure uncut cocaine, and emptied it on the conference room table, you know what I'm gonna think? Who's gonna clean this mess up? But you know what someone else is gonna think? their heart would race almost out of their chest. They'd put their hands together and just dive in head first because that's an issue for them. Why does hell not tempt me with cocaine? I don't even think about it. But think about what you think about. 
you know what he's going to come with. Like, is this some big surprise? Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets you. You know what he's, he's going to bring the same thing every time till you graduate. So you make a decision. I've turned a new leaf. I know he's coming. I'm prepared. The answer is no. You so say, it can't be that simple. It's got to be that simple because I have God himself living in my body. And when I activate the power of the Holy Spirit by yielding to his power and say, okay, Lord, help me say no. He says, piece of cake, no. And I go, okay, I'm good with that. I'm going to suffer. I'll have to say no, but let's fight forward. And then another day and another day. Here's an interesting question. How many years have you been sober from your sin? See, we clap for people, 18 years, two years, whatever. It's all good for you. When are we going to get clapped? Somebody going to clap for me, you. The problem is we don't have much time. We don't have many chips. Because we cheer for those people as though you can get sober, but you can't get clean spiritually. You say, well, I can't imagine not doing my particular sin the rest of my life. It's just kind of who I've been, what I've done. Let's try one day. Go to sleep, you wake up, like, wow, Lord, we made it one day. He's like, let's try it another day. Part of the problem is we miss our sin. We miss our sin. The more you love your Savior, the less you'll miss your sin. Chase him. Stay after him. And then he'll say, hey, where are you going? Oh, I'll be back in a little bit. I got to do a little something, something over here. He said, well, why would you leave me and go do something, something? Just stay with me one more day. Philippians 3, and this he kind of flat out says it, brethren. So this is Paul writing to believers. I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not saying I've arrived. But one thing I do, not a list of things, not seven things. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What you want is people meeting you and seeing you that maybe haven't seen you in a long time and say, well, yeah, yeah, I knew Terrence years ago. He used to, he used to be a player. He used to be a drug addict. He used to be an alcoholic. He used to, what do you used to be? But it'd be hard to convince anybody of that anymore because that's not who you are anymore. So that woman caught in adultery, I believe she met Jesus because she did. And I believe he set her on a new course and if you met her later and you recognized her and you knew what kind of woman she used to be, once you meet Jesus and start down that road, it's not who you are anymore. It's just who you used to be. If you're a new creation, you can't be who you used to be. And I look around this room right here and there are a lot of used to be's. There's some gonna be's, but there's some used to be's too. Because there are some people who long ago made a decision to turn a new leaf and they're on that course. And there's some people right now who are considering going and sinning no more. Not that you couldn't sin anymore, but you're like, you know what? What am I going to do? Spend the rest of my life wasting my time? First John 1 9. I don't want to leave this one out. First John 1 9 and maybe 10 as well. If, big if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Blot it out. Make you clean. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if you know you've sinned, confess that sin. 
You say, but what if I do it again? So listen closely to this. If when you sin and you confess the sin, you've already decided you're gonna do it again, you're in trouble. You're just trapped in some kind of hamster wheel that will never end. And you're like, yeah, well, let's hit that grace blood bank again and you know, another hit and he's gotta forgive me because that's how grace works, but I'll be right back out there. He is faithful, he's just to forgive us and to make us clean. Get clean, stay clean. And don't say you don't have sin when you do because you make him a liar and his word is not in you because he's saying there is sin. You say, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite and keep saying I'm one thing and then I confess it and go back and forth. Then stop being a hypocrite. Repent, change your mind. How are you going to live? Live that way. You say, well, I can't do it by myself. Get some help. It's very interesting how some principles in alcoholism came straight out of the Bible and Christians won't even use them. You'd be hard pressed to find an alcoholic who got sober and stayed sober that doesn't have a sponsor. You know what we call those in church if you got it working like it's supposed to? Someone discipling you, someone walking with you, talking through things with you, showing you the scriptures, helping you figure it out. You're not supposed to do it by yourself. All right, go back, way back to Genesis chapter three, and we'll shut it down with this. So God makes Adam and Eve this perfect environment the devil, for some reason, has freedom to approach him, and it all goes terribly wrong, and here we are. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and he had told her not to eat of this tree, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. So they're both eating the fruit. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. There's only two people on the whole planet, and there's God and the animals, and all of a sudden, they know they're naked. So they were naked before, and somehow didn't, it wasn't a problem, but either they don't want to be naked in front of each other, the animals, or they know God's going to show up like he does, and they're aware that they're naked, and they don't want to be uncovered in front of him. And so they go find leaves, fig leaves, and somehow manage to figure out a way to piece them together and cover themselves, whether that's just their privates or their whole bodies, the first clothes that are ever made, fig, fig leaves. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So they're hiding then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And don't think that God didn't know where he was. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the answer was yes. And kaboom, here it comes. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. 
And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. So the consequence of their sin starts to unfold. And down in verse 21, God ends up making clothes more suitable for them out of skins, animal skins. But in order for that to happen, something has to die. An animal had to die to cover them. And that's the Old Testament. So if you feel exposed before God, you feel naked, a new leaf is not going to fix that problem. There aren't enough leaves to cover your sin. But there is a lamb who died and made your covering possible with his righteousness, his sinless sacrifice. And what leaves couldn't fix in the garden, only a dead animal's skin could cover. In our case, only the sacrifice of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world can cover your troubles. So if you want to turn over a new leaf, get you some Jesus. Get you some Jesus. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talk sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us. richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.